Well, that was just beautiful this morning. Amen. Good encouraging song for us. Nothing from his love can sever. Amen. You know, when, when I first uh, went to my wife's family, uh, we were dating, I think, maybe not even dating at that point. Um, they had six children. And sitting at a meal was very different at their house than it was at my house. When I, was, when I, uh, when I would go there, um, they had six children, and, and uh, Tanya, the oldest, was married. And so, and of course, I was there. And so, you, I mean, now it's getting pretty crowded around the table. Lots of, it's a good thing they had a big table. But they did something a little unusual. They all talked at the same time. I'm not kidding. They would, it, it was, five of the six ki- children were girls, that's right. It, it, <laughs> you, Dean hit it. <laughs> but I, I mean, there would be three or four conversations going on at the same time. And here's where it got really interesting. Some, some of them, and probably all of them, to be honest, they'd be having a conversation with someone. They'd hear something in another conversation. They would go, turn to that conversation, put some input into it, and then go back to their conversation. And this was utter chaos to me. I'm sitting there going, whoa, 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 whoa. Too much information, too much, too much talking. I don't know who I'm supposed to be listening to. In my house growing up, at the table, very frequently, conversation wasn't permitted. We had to eat in silence. But if it was permitted, one person at a time, and the oldest adults got to talk first and foremost. They got to trump the kids. And so, and if grandma and grandpa were there, they got to trump my parents. It's kind of the way it worked. And so everything was indecently in an order. I mean, you know, I would hear about, uh, you know, Christmas morning that people would run down the stairs, they'd go to the tree, and they'd rip open all their presents. Not at my house. We didn't get to come out until mom or dad said we could. We came out and, and one at a time so they could take our picture uh, in our pajamas and messed up hair. And then we would go and, and one gift would be handed to someone. They would open the gift. We would ooh and ah, take pictures. And then the next gift would be handed out. And ooh and ah and all that, that process would be repeated. And Christmas morning took hours. Literally hours. And that's the way... That's what I was used to. And to be honest, we actually do it that way at our house. I'm so, oh, I'm so thankful for the normal way of doing things and not the chaos. And I know some of you go, what? That's not normal. That's ins- Why would you do that? Because I like things to be under control. I, I, I know that you're not going to appreciate this. A lot of you won't like this. But I don't like the game Dutch Blitz. I don't play. I do not play Dutch Blitz. And here's the reason why. There's no turn-taking. My wife says, well, we want you to play. I said, I will play if we can take turns. She said, that is ruining the game. You have to be like, no, it's chaos. I don't like it. I like things to be indecently and in order. That's biblical, don't you know? 
Dutch Blitz is not biblical. It's not in decency. There's no decency about it, and it's certainly not in order. <laughs> I hope you know I'm joking this morning and, and don't find it to be a sin to play it, but I'm, not going to, I'm just not going to join. I'll watch you all break each other's fingers as you slam your card down for, on top of theirs. I'll let you do that. It's just, not, it's just not a game that I prefer. Now, if you want to sit down and play a nice game of chess... And I will go, we'll do that because it's good turn-taking. We like turn-taking. I like things to be ordered and expected. Now, I could, that does not mean I don't, that I can't, you know, that, I, I, that everything has to be all planned out. I don't mind, you know, if someone calls me up and says, hey, you want to do such and such? I, I'm much quicker to say yes than my wife, and I don't understand it. She loves Dutch Blitz, but she, she wants to have her day planned out. I don't, I don't need it planned out. I'm, it, whatever happens, happens. I don't understand that, but I just like things to be in order. I, I just, I'm just, I don't know. Do you like chaos? Is that something that you really enjoy is when, when things are just seem to be all, you know, you got all, you're juggling the balls of life and you got them all up in the air? I don't. I don't. And during the midst of this week, um, this week has in some ways has felt like a month and I'll be honest, it feels like I have a lot more balls in the air than the ones that I have under control. And, and it just seems to me this, that sometimes God just messes up our plans and he messes up our, our situations. And we serve a God who's a God of order, but there's a lot of times he allows what we perceive as chaos but it's all in order for him. And I think that's an important thing to remember. Is, and I know right now that a lot of you feel the, the stress of the chaos. I went shopping for, uh, for my wife this week. And there weren't a lot of people in there, but there wasn't a lot of stuff on the shelves either. And that's, that's difficult. I'm used to what I want I can get. And now I kind of feel like, I feel like, you know, when the missionaries tell us about, you know, that they can't always find the things that they want, I'm like, oh, man, is this how it feels to be on the mission field? I, I'm, sure it's, I'm sure it's nowhere near as bad as that. But, you know, it's, there's, it's chaotic, and it's touching all of us in one way or another, whether, whether it's things that aren't available, whether there's, you know, those that are listening online from, that are in states where everything is shut down and they can't leave their homes, and if that comes here, we're all going to feel stress from that. And some of you don't have jobs right now that, that you used to have, or hours are being cut back, and we're all feeling some stress. And our governor and, and, our, and our president declared a, a, a state of emergency, a time of disaster. And I don't think any of us can say this, this morning, it doesn't affect me. If it hasn't affected you in some way, I, I want to find that rock you're hiding under. 
Because <laughs> it's going to. It has to. We've never been through this way before. This is totally different. No one's ever experienced this. This is so different than anything. And whether we think it's overblown or whether we think we're not taking it seriously enough, it's still stressing us. Because we think that, we think that they're wrong. everyone's wrong. <laughs> Someone's wrong. And that's stressing. And everything's kind of, and can I use the word disaster this morning? Just kind of feels like a disaster. A natural disaster, a, a, a virus that, that we can't control and we can't see and hides for two weeks before you know you have it. I mean, that's scary. And I'm not trying to scare you this morning. I'm just trying to help us to understand that what you're feeling, all of us are feeling. Whether, whether, they're pers- whether we're taking it too seriously or not seriously enough, all of us are feeling the stress of this. We've been studying the names of God, and uh, this morning I, we're going to look together at El Shaddai. Now El, El is what we've already studied, Elohim. Uh, El is, is the singular, but El is God, so we know that one. But Shaddai... Shaddai is a, is, a, is a word that I have interesting news for you. We don't know what it means. Well, how are you going to preach on something you don't know what it means? Well, I don't know, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. You let me know. Here, Shaddai can mean a lot of things. It can mean mountain. So he's God of the mountain. El Shaddai, God of the mountain. It can mean wilderness or wasteland. So he's the God of the wilderness. It can mean that he's the God of disaster. The one who brings destruction. The destruction bringer. Ooh, that's interesting. It can mean almighty. And that's how our King James translate it. And when you see almighty in the King James, that is Shaddai. So it has a lot of meanings. I don't even think I... Oh, I was missing one. I knew I had one that I was missing. Also means he's the God of enough. He's the one who said to creation, enough. He's the one that was powerful enough to stop creation. It's like, that's kind of a strange thought. We've always thought about God creating and starting creation, but but some uh, Hebrew scholars believe that he's the God who said enough to creation, that creation stopped going. I was like, wow, that's a little different thought there. So, how, so we've got a word that, that can mean a lot of things. So how do, what do we do with that? Well, here's what was interesting. As I began to look, and uh, I believe there's 48 times that Shaddai shows up in the Old Testament. And do you know what we dis- I discovered? Almost every time it shows up, The people who are using it, or especially when God reveals it to Abraham, they're all facing a disaster. All of them are facing a disaster. Of the 48 times that Shaddai shows up, 31 of them show up in the book of Job alone. Wow. That that caught my attention. When, when it first shows up, and we often, often I read you that that's usually our portion of scriptures when, when uh, God reveals that or, or when the person first uses that name, uh, is when Abraham is 75 years old and God shows up and says, I am El Shaddai, 
And I'm going to make a covenant with you. Walk perfectly before me. I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And Abraham, I'm changing your name to Abraham. I'm going to make, uh, and this is our covenant, and you're going to be circumcised. He was facing a disaster. He's 75 and has no child, no heir. And it would be, still be a while before they'd have that child, before that promise would be fulfilled. But it seems like every single time that Shaddai is used, it's either in the midst of a disaster or it's a prophet that's predicting disaster. Turn with me, if you would, to, to the book of Ruth, chapter 1. Ruth, chapter 1. Now, to set the stage for our, our reading, and Naomi has has lived in Bethlehem probably her whole life. Her husband and her two boys, and they have experienced famine. Probably God has punished them for their idol worship again. This is, Ruth takes place during the time of the Judges. So if you can kind of think of Ruth as being a part of the book of Judges, that might help to understand so that we don't have a king. We have people doing what's right in their own eyes. They're sinning, and God's selling them into uh, to captivity, and God sends punishment, and then a judge arises, frees them, and there's a little bit of time of, of peace, and then the sin thing starts, and the judges keeps having that same cycle. And so Ruth takes place in the midst of the book of Judges, in the midst of this crazy cycle of sin, slavery, slavery might be a stronger word there, but, but captivity, and then uh, crying out, a deliverer, peace, and then started all over again. So this is, this is what's happening. And, and God has sent a famine. And so they're, they're suffering under the judgment of God. And Elkanah, her, her husband, says, you know what? I think there are better blessings in Moab than there are in Bethlehem. And he packs up his family, and they move to Moab. Lots of good preaching here, and I'm, gonna, I'm trying not to preach it. <laughs> They show up, and her boys marry outside of God's law. You are not allowed to marry a Moabite. But the boys, they didn't follow God's law. Remember that everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. I don't know if the boys knew, to be honest. I don't know when the last time the law had been read. I don't, know what, I don't know all the details here. I, I don't want to be too hard on these boys, but I, I also, also there's, there's some culpability. And Naomi's husband dies. And then pretty soon, her boys die. You know the story. And oftentimes I think we skip this part because we want to get to the good part. But Naomi's heart heartbroken, and she decides to go home to Bethlehem because Moab has not had greener grass than Bethlehem, and she's heard that there's bread back in Bethlehem. She hears that God's blessing them again. The people have repented. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. God's rewarding them for following him, so she's going back. You know, Orpah and, and Ruth, they promised to go, and Naomi tells them to stay home, that you know, go back to your parents. I can't give you any more children. I don't have any, I don't have any blessings they'll give you. 
and Orpah cries and and she leaves. And I don't want to be too hard on Orpah. But I'll tell you this. I think I think that if if and when I become a, a father-in-law, I hope that I have such a spirit about myself like Naomi had. That my that they have such loyalty. That both Orpah and Ruth had. I hope that I, I hope that I behave in, in such a way that they love me that much. And I would say to, to those that have sons-in-laws and daughter-in-laws, if you don't have that kind of relationship that Naomi and had with, with Ruth and Orpah, work on it. This is before, this, I mean, this is a time when people are not minding God the way they should, and Naomi still has so much of God in her still that she has developed a relationship with daughter-in-laws, and oftentimes mother-in-laws and daughter-in-laws clash. But it, there's loyalty there. So much so that what Ruth says has been used in weddings. Wives who are saying this to their husbands there at the altar. We forget that those beautiful words were said to a, from a daughter-in-law to a mother-in-law. That's strong loyalty. I need to get going. It's good preaching there, but I'm, I'm going to keep going here. Ruth goes home. And we're going to pick up our reading here. Uh, Ruth chapter 1 and I believe it's verse 19. So the, they too went until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for should die hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord, Yahweh there, hath brought me home again empty. Why then shall ye me, or then call ye me Naomi, seeing that Yahweh hath testified against me, and that Shaddai hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Wow. Naomi is using this name, Shaddai. She uses it twice, actually. And she's saying, in the midst of bitterness... In fact, she's so bitter, and I, and I don't think uh, that she's talking about bitterness like she's angry at God, that she's bitter at God. I think she's just saying she has bitterness of spirit. She's grieving. She's, she's, she, there's no joy left in her heart. And she's in the midst of this great disaster. Talk about disaster. She goes, I left full. I mean, yes, there's a famine in Bethlehem, but we had... I had a husband. I had my two sons. They had a little bit of wealth saved up so they could start in a new country. 
they left. She left with all that really a, a woman, a mother and a wife really wants. She left full. And Shaddai afflicted her. Her husband's gone. Her son-in-laws are gone. And probably they don't have anything. Because in those days, women just did not have the availability to, to work. They didn't, there wasn't a lot they could do. And that was why God, so many times in scriptures, tells us we have a responsibility to the fatherless and to the widows. is because they were super vulnerable because they did not have a provider of the home. They're, they've been out of work. They've been selling things trying to survive. They hear a rumor that there's bread in Bethlehem. And so they're going back with nothing. And the time that they're coming is the barley harvest. You know what that means? She missed planting season. You, not the ability to plant. Not the ability to, to put in a garden. They're coming at the harvest. You know what that means? That means they are totally dependent on other people's generosity and they are dependent upon the people minding God's law, which they have been doing a terrible job of doing it, to allow gleaners and the corners of the field to not be harvested. What are their chances? Now, we know the story. We know the story, but chances aren't good. And let's throw on top of it that Ruth's a Moabite. She's a hated class. She's hated. Mo- the Moabites had mistreated the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. And she certainly is a threat because you can't marry a Moabite this because uh, these are, the, when they've intermarried with people outside of the Israelites, those women and, and men, but typically the women, would draw those people into the idol worship of, the, of their home country. If you read Judges, it's happening over and over. They get drawn away because they marry outside of of God's people. And so here we have a threat. Here they are starting to mind God again, starting to do what they're supposed to be doing. God's starting to bless them. And here comes this Moabitess who is now a threat to not only their national, uh, uh, you know, their, their race, shall we say it that way, but now he's also a threat to God's blessings and a threat to their spirituality. Maybe a good way for us to understand it would be if, if two lesbians were to come in and sit in our church. There'd be some of you that would probably really tremble at that. I would shout inside. I wouldn't shout to scare them, but... I want, God's, I want God's message to go out to them. But you know, there can be a real threat. And people can get up and leave because we must have loose standards if, if they feel comfortable here. And I've had some conversations because well, I've had the privilege of pastoring a, a gay man before. Thankful for it. But that it's a, it's a, it feels like a threat to some people. And, Mo- and Ruth is a threat to the people of Bethlehem. 
And Naomi says, God has dealt bitterly with me. He has has afflicted me. The Almighty, the Shaddai, the God of the mountain, the God of the wilderness, the God of, of, uh, uh, the God of disaster. He's brought disaster and destruction to me. Is it any wonder Job uses that term 31 times between him and his comforters? The God of disaster. I almost, it just seems like that's, that's the Shaddai. Just, it, that name just shows up. It pops up in the middle of the worst afflictions. In the worst times, God gets called Shaddai. He's the God who's permitted disaster in my life. He's the God who's permitted disaster into your life, Job. He's the God who is permitting disaster. And maybe when we see Almighty there, we should think He's mighty enough to permit that into our lives. Now we know the story, don't we? God sends Ruth to Boaz. And why is, it not le- why is it not wrong for Boaz to marry Ruth? Well, because she'd already been brought in. She'd already been married, and there was a requirement of the next kinsman to marry her. And so it's one of those times when you have two laws, and they conflict with each other. And we have that sometimes, and it goes before the Supreme Court. It was one of those times that there was a conflict of the law. She, she needed to marry a, a, a kinsman. And so the, because of the, she had already been married into the family, even though, though uh, Naomi's son had done wrong, it was right and it was legal. And here's the thing that as I look at this story, as, as Naomi is saying, God is uh, the Almighty. The Almighty is dealing bitter with, bitterly with me. <laughs> it's, if you read the last of the book, you find out that, that God has blessed her. And not only has he blessed Naomi, but he's blessed Ruth. And he's pretty soon going to bless all of Israel with a grandson named David who's going to be king. And he's going he's to slay Goliath and he's going to uh, uh, defeat the Philistines and he's going to uh, be a great and mighty warrior for God and he's going to be a man after God's own heart. He's going to be a huge blessing to the people of Israel. And oh, by the way, Naomi, you don't know it yet, but guess what? God is going to bless the whole world through a great grandson by the name of Jesus, who's going to free us from our sins. And here's what I want to tell you with this name of Shaddai. That God is going to come into our disasters and he is going to turn it around for his glory. And you just may find that the disaster that you're experiencing is the process. It is the method that's God bringing about your greatest blessing. The thing that is stressing you, the thing that's causing you to weep, the thing that's robbing you of your joy. He is Shaddai. He is the God of disasters. He's the God Almighty, and he can step in on it. I, you know, I think it's interesting. Those names for, for Shaddai, you know, all of them excite me. Because I think about El Shaddai, the God of the mountain. I've got a mountain God that's too big for me. I can't move it. I can't climb over it. I can't tunnel through it. That's all right. I'm El Shaddai. I'm the God of the mountain. And you shall say to this mountain, be cast in the sea. And it's going to be cast into the sea. 
You say, God, I'm going through a desert place. I'm going through the wilderness. I don't feel God's presence. I don't, I don't, I can't, I'm not hearing God's voice. I, I, I'm just going through a real dry time. Um, uh, and it just, it just is a difficult place to be. I want you to know he's El Shaddai, the God of the wilderness. And he will take you through that wilderness. You say, oh, God, I'm going through a, I'm go- we're going through a pestilence. We're going through destruction. We're going through a hard time. God, we're going through, we're going through some things that we've never been, that we've, don't, we've never been through it. We don't know how to handle it. We don't know the decision to make. That's all right. I'm the God of destruction. In the midst of your disasters, in the midst of your calamity, I'm still El Shaddai. I'm still God. And you say, oh God, I don't have enough strength. I don't have enough ability. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the knowledge to face what I'm facing. He's El Shaddai. He's the God of enough. He's enough. We aren't enough. God, I'm not enough. But he is El Shaddai, the God of enough. And so I don't care, honestly, this morning, where you settle in on what Shaddai means. But I'll tell you this. He is almighty. He is almighty. And it's no wonder that the King James translators settled in on this word uh, uh, almighty because he's saying that he's mighty for your mountain. He's mighty for your wilderness. He's mighty for your weakness. He's mighty enough for anything that you're going through. He's mighty enough for your disaster. He is almighty. I was thinking as, as I was preparing this message of a song, I think, I think the songwriter hit the nail on the head. You know it, I'm sure. Stephen Hill wrote this song. He said, bigger than all my problems, bigger than all my fears, bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see, bigger than all my questions, bigger than anything. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. Bigger than all the shadows that fall across my path. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. He is bigger than all the confusion. Bigger than anything. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. Bigger than all my problems. Bigger than all my fears. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. Bigger than all my questions. Bigger than anything. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. Bigger than the jaw of the giants of pain and unbelief. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. Bigger than any hang up. Bigger than anything. My God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. What am I trying to tell you this morning? I'm trying to tell you he's almighty. He's mighty this morning. He's bigger than the mountain. That's in your place, in the mountain of your financial difficulties as this is coming and you're facing. I want you to know he's bigger than that. He's bigger than the the coronavirus that you can't see. He's bigger than that too. He's bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. And if we can get a hold of that this morning... In the midst of your confusion, in the midst of your fear, or whatever else, your hang-up, anything that you're, that you're going through this morning, or anything that you'll ever go through, He's El Shaddai, the God of disaster. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. 
He is almighty. <laughs> you know, I think if we get a hold of that, I don't think it'd make us cavalier. I don't think it'd make us foolish. I think what it'd help us to do is help us to realize that we have a God who has it all under control. Perhaps the most memorized verse where Shaddai shows up is in Psalms 91 where it says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of Shaddai. You see, if you believe that he should die, you're going to dwell in the secret place. In the midst of all the fear, in all the midst of, of the panic, in the midst of, of not being able to find things, in the midst of your concern, I want you to know this should drive you to the secret place. So that you can hide under the shadow of Shaddai. If this, if this fear, if, if, this, if this virus is making you less prayerful, you don't believe in Shaddai. But if it's made you more prayerful, if it's driven you to the secret place, I want to tell you that that's a good sign you believe he should die, the God of destruction. He's the God Almighty. And how just encourage us. Let's get a hold of this name. Remember our theme verse for this, for this series has been that he that knoweth thy name will put their trust in you. We'll put our trust in God if we understand it, if we believe that he is Shaddai, the God Almighty in the midst of the wilderness and the mountain. And, and when we're, we're not enough and when we're facing destruction, he is God Shaddai. And if we get a hold of that, I believe we'll become prayer warriors. And you know it talks about the noise and pestilence and all that stuff. You read through Psalms 91. Folks, I encourage you this afternoon. Read Psalms 91 thinking about all the blessings of hiding under the shadow of Shaddai. You want to know, you want to know the blessings of knowing the name Shaddai? It's right there. In Psalms 91. Study it. Pray about it. Meditate about it. Know that he is the God who's going to keep us through this. Because he is God Almighty. He is Shaddai. And we can abide under his shadow. Is there anywhere else you want to be? Is there any place that you'd rather spend quarantine with? <laughs> if you got to be in quarantine, you might as well be under the shadow of the Almighty. <laughs> And if it comes near us and we get sick and you have to go to the hospital, I want you to know you just can just abide under the shadow of the Almighty there in a the hospital bed too. And if we have to grieve, and I trust that we won't, but if we have to grieve, I want you to know we can grieve under the shadow of the Almighty. Bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. I believe that this morning. I believe that with all my heart. He is El Shaddai, the God Almighty. Let's stand together. Amen. Brother Alexander, so good to have you here this morning. Would you please dismiss us in prayer?